My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School Online. I'm glad you're able to join us in this uh, method. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 7. Uh, if you already have your handout, uh, then go ahead and grab your handout as well. If you don't have your handout, what you can do is you can go to uh, OurSundaySchool.com and click on the Read tab. And when you do that, what you'll see is a page with all of the prior lessons that we've taught uh, in our Sunday School. So scroll to the bottom of that page. Find today's date, click on the white T, and that's the teacher notes. Uh, if you're live on Facebook with us right now and not watching this later, uh, you can also look at the uh, comment that Julie posted just a few minutes ago. It's got a link directly to today's handout. So I encourage you to take just a second and do that. And then while you're thinking about that, uh, go ahead and think through our question that we ask each week. Uh, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark that we've studied so far? So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So just a couple of uh, introductory comments. Uh, uh, love to see everybody uh, commenting this morning. Uh, Julie and I were talking before I went live. Uh, and sometimes if you acknowledge the class clown, the class clown gets worse. So I'm just going to say, I see you. And that's Julie laughing in the background. <laughs> Uh, but it's great to see you guys uh, posting and engaging with each other this morning. I appreciate that. I have got my setup on my side so that I can see your comments coming in. So thanks to Dave Barber for an additional iPad so I could keep an eye on all of those things. Uh, so uh, welcome to all of our families that have joined this morning. Uh, looks like we've got the Barbers, the Johnsons, the Reeds, uh, Barry Cole, uh, Julie's on the couch. Uh, we've got uh, the Johns. Um, we've got Cheryl Benefield, the Landers are here, the Velosens are here, the Arnolds, the Arnolds again, the Dobbs, hey, Brian's here, uh, Becky again, oh, that's just another comment, uh, the McClures, the Cortises, and the Friars, fantastic, well, thanks for joining us this morning. So if you've got your Bible, let's go to Mark chapter 7. Uh, we'll be in Mark chapter 7 for the vast majority of today, we'll also be uh, headed back to a couple of Old Testament books as well. Uh, but uh, if you've got your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 7. So I'm going to read the entirety of Mark chapter 7. And if you have little ones around, I would encourage you that this is an opportunity for practice. Right? This is an opportunity to, to build a skill of respect for God's Word so that when the Bible is being read, everybody understands we all stop. Uh, it's not an opportunity to go get another cup of coffee. It's not an opportunity to fidget. It's not an opportunity to shop on, online on Loft. Uh, it's not an opportunity to, I would, I'm not calling anybody out in particular that's sitting right over there, but that's okay. Um, but this is an opportunity to uh, engage and listen and hear what the Spirit has to say. So uh, I'm going to read Mark chapter 7, uh, and if you would just either listen or read along uh, quietly to yourself. Mark 7. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. 
And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said unto them, Well did Isaiah prophesy to you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Amen. I agree, Margie. Something new jumps out uh, every single time. Um, so we've got a couple of the folks that have joined us. 
So we've got the, uh, the bandies are here. Yay. Hello bandies. Uh, so wonderful to see all four of you, uh, engaging with this. Um, uh, Sabrina's here. Hey, Sabrina. Uh, looks like the Skinners are here. We love you too, uh, Darla. Uh, the Janikas. Hey guys. Hello. Hello. Uh, the Gregs are here. The Cortises are here again in Spanish. I, I don't know Spanish, so don't go there. Uh, Brian Willard's here. Hey, Brian. Uh, and then, uh, the archers are here. Excellent. Oh, and Dan Allen. Fantastic. Welcome and anchor down. So we finished up, uh, last week, uh, around verse five in, uh, chapter seven. So we have a, uh, uh the idea here is that these, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes have come to where Jesus is and, uh, they've traveled a very long distance. Uh, the scribes have, and they have come to try to trap him, to get him to say something that is inconsistent with what they believe. Uh, and boy, are they going to get more than they wish for today. Uh, but last week we looked at Mark 7, verses 1 through 5. So we talked about the Pharisees, we talked about the scribes, we talked about the, the geography. We talked about what uh, defiled was, that this is common, this is something that's profane. Uh, we talked about verses 3 and 4 are a big parenthetical that kind of helps us as modern day readers understand really what Mark was talking about with some of these traditions of the Pharisees. We also looked at uh, the actual traditions themselves. And I want to make sure that uh, you guys see exactly whoop, here we go, um, what they had to start with. And uh, the Old Testament was what the, uh, the Old Testament uh, began with, this is the, the core foundation. And over time, what the Jews did is they added on top and on top and on top and on top. And they layered all these additional things, everything from the Apocrypha to the Pseudepigrapha to the Mishnah, the Gemara, the Talmud. And, and all of this extra teaching and spurious writings and not really true, but some of it's helpful at times and some of it's historically accurate, but there's all this stuff that they've layered on. And the problem was that they equated God's word, which they have now shrunk, with all of their traditions that they have added to. So this is what Jesus is directly confronting here. Uh, and today, in, in today's lesson, uh, Lord willing, we will get to actually see what his response is. So if you come down and you look at verse uh, 5, at the, at the end of verse 5 is really where we stopped off last week. Uh, they asked him this question, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And we talked about that at the beginning of their question. There's really a, there's a, there's a preposition that's left off in our English translation, D, of the word through. And you could, you could ask the question, through who? Uh, do your disciples uh, walk, not walk according to the tradition of the elders? And this could be very easily taken as a, an affront upon Jesus and his divinity, his authority as a teacher, his authority as a rabbi, um, and he lets loose on them. Uh, and, and this is not the text that we typically will take a four or five-year-old and walk them through and teach them about who Jesus is. But Jesus is a fierce defender of truth because he is truth. And one of the things that he does here is he lets Moses's words stand and he lets Isaiah's words stand. And Jesus doesn't articulate a doctrine of the sufficiency of scripture. He just lives it out. 
and he lets us see what it looks like to say, this is what the text says, and this is also what it meant. It's very, very beautiful, his response here. So last week I left you with the question, um, yes, baseball shirt, we're going to get to that, Dobbs, don't worry. We're going to get to that very soon. Hey, the Ericsons are here too. Um, and apparently a, a tremendous number of the Barber clan, so that's awesome. Uh, so last week I left you with a question. When the, when the scribes and the Pharisees asked this question to Jesus, how would you have felt if you were one of the disciples? How would you have felt if you had just been kind of publicly called out here for not washing your hands? How would you have felt if you were one of the disciples who did wash their hands? Perhaps an air of smugness, an air of superiority. And if you were one of the disciples who didn't, perhaps an air of, oh, I forgot to do that. Or I don't really think that's important. And, and one of the things that Jesus is extremely well known for, and you've heard me talk about this many times, is his art of asking questions. So if he's, if he's asked a question, the most common response that Jesus has back is a question. The most common question that he asks back is, have you not read? Which is a wonderful to remind, reminder to us that that should be a really good place to start. Have you not read? Go back to the text. But Jesus does not ask them a question here. He just goes. So Jesus doesn't expect the disciples to defend themselves, which is really helpful for the disciples because I'm not sure they were theologically equipped to do so at that point yet. He had empowered them to do miracles and to proclaim the gospel, but perhaps their knowledge of Old Testament uh, was not sufficient at this point to do this. But in, in any case, Jesus takes it upon himself to respond. And in verse 6, Boy, does he respond. So let's look at verse six. And he said to them, so this is, um, he says to the scribes and to the Pharisees. So I want you to notice he doesn't say about them. He doesn't go tell somebody else to tell them. He says to them, directly to them. So Jesus models for us a way in which we are to engage those who are adding to Scripture who are piling on with additional traditions and practices and religious expectations that aren't found in the gospel text. So he says to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy? And this word well at the bottom of page 212 in your handout is, uh, as Brian would say, well translated. Um, sorry, I've been waiting like three weeks to say that. So there you go. This word shows up several other times in uh, the Gospel of Mark. It shows up in Mark 7, 37. Uh, one of my favorite verses in Mark chapter 7. Uh, at, at the end, they were all astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. It's got this sense, uh, and the, the definition there is, is, it just means well. It usually has a moral connotation to it also. But the, the, the idea here is that when you see somebody do something and they've done it right, but they've also done it rightly. There's a sense of, oh, you not only did the action properly, but it was a morally correct action. So if you have a young person that you've dealt with recently and you see them do something and, and they got it right, but they did it, they did it with the right intention, they did it with the right heart, they did it with the right uh, motivation, there's this added accolade that's added on to your praise of them because, yeah, you got it right, but you did it well right. And this is the sense of this word that is going on here. Uh, another place this shows up in Mark 
is Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Uh, it says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well. So this is not just an isolated incident in Mark, but Mark establishes a pattern that Jesus, when he is engaging with people, does so well. And the crazy thing is that this word also shows up in uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 18. And if Augie's dad is listening, we're going to count this in the canon. Mark 16, 18, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink de any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. This, this sense of health that they have here at the end of Mark chapter 16, this is that same word. This, it's a word for healthy. And when you combine these usages, you get this more well-rounded approach. <laughs> well-rounded, there you go. Um, that was for you, Dave. Totally unintended, but that was for you. You get this well-rounded approach of the, the context of this word. Jesus is full-throated endorsing Isaiah here. There's no waffling. There's no embarrassment. There's no, well, but he, he really meant this other thing over here. No. He said I, Isaiah did a good job. He did a, he did a right prophecy and he did it the right way. So I don't want you to miss Jesus' endorsement of the Old Testament prophets because this is going to be important because it wasn't just Jesus endorsing the Old Testament prophets. It was the Old Testament prophets endorsing Jesus. They prophesied all of these different prophecies and then he comes and he knocks every single one of them over well. He does it and he does it rightly. It's a beautiful word. You can tell I got hung up on the word well this week. So well did Isaiah prophesy. So Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet. He lived uh, around 700 years before the, the time that Jesus is uh, speaking here. So this is not something that Isaiah would have known these particular Pharisees and scribes. This was something that the Spirit of God gave Isaiah to write and Isaiah wrote. So well did Isaiah prophesy of you. Now this is, this is a little scary here because if somebody in religious authority came up to you and said, this Old Testament prophet prophesied about you, that's, that's very direct. It's very confrontational. This is not a, this is not a sideways uh, roundabout approach. This is a direct approach. And when truth is challenged, when God's word is taken lightly, when God's word is dismissed or piled upon, Jesus has a very direct response. And there is much that we as 21st century Christ followers can learn about Jesus's approach. You hit this head on and you hit it with scripture. You don't make something up, you go to the text. And this is an encouraging approach. So well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Now this was a, a, a word that, was um, uh, <laughs> it was not a pleasant word to use for somebody. It's not a pleasant word today. It wasn't a pleasant word then. And he's specifically talking to the religious elite and the intellectually religious elite, the scribes and the Pharisees. So Jesus saying this to the scribes and the Pharisees is a huge insult to them. So well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. This is an actor with a, a mask on. So I've, I am somebody else, but I've put a mask on for public display. 
So well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. And this it is written is in the perfect tense. This is completed action with the results continuing. So just because Isaiah wrote this 700 years ago doesn't mean the results ended then. The results continue today. It is still the living, active word of God. It is still powerful. It is still in effect. It is still God's word. So this perfect tense is just another indication that Jesus' affirmation of the text of scripture itself. And then he begins to quote, and this is from Isaiah chapter 29. So if you have your Bibles, go over to Isaiah chapter 29. I'm going to switch Bibles here for just a second. So this is my my reading Bible. This is what I typically read uh, the scripture out of. It's just the text. Very, very little other uh, extraneous marks in. And then I have a copy of uh, the ESV study Bible, which is, you know, the size of Montana. Uh, hey, Bree. Uh, so let's go to Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29. The pages are even huge in this thing. It's amazing. And I want you to see the context because earlier in this lesson, I talked about this, this question and asking that Jesus would do. And this was, this was common for a rabbi. Um, and those of you who've been with us in our Sunday school for a while, just pause with me for just a second. I'm going to kind of bring everybody else up to speed. But Jewish rabbis at this time would ask and answer questions of each other and of their disciples. And this was one of the mechanisms that they used to teach. So if the Jewish rabbi asked a disciple, what is two plus two? So if you know the answer, what is two plus two? Shout it out. Wrong. The answer to what is two plus two from a Jewish rabbi is what is eight minus four? Because you wouldn't answer the question directly. You'd answer the question with another question with the same answer, demonstrating to the person who asked you the question that you not only knew the answer, but you knew another way to put it. And the Jews didn't do this with math. You're welcome, because this would be a really lousy way to teach a math class. They did this with theology. And many times what the Jews would do is they would quote a text of Scripture that would apply, but the next verse right after also applies, because it's meant to lead the person into the following thought. That's what's coming next. And the Jewish art of asking questions, they would the rabbi would ask the, the Jewish disciple a question, and the disciple would answer with the verse before the actual answer of the text. And the rabbi would ask another question, and the, the Jewish disciple would be expected to know the verse before the actual answer. So many times what Jesus does in the New Testament is he answers a question with the verse that he quotes, but he gives much more context and much fuller understanding of what his response is by the next verse that he didn't quote. So let's look at Isaiah uh, chapter 29. So we've got a couple more. Um, yes, good, Seth. Seth is paying attention. This is fantastic. Um, all right, so we've got the Englishes are here. We've got, well played. Yes, Brian, thank you. Uh, the Stoddards are here. Uh, Common Core Math, maybe, I'm not sure. Uh, there's a Jewish joke in there somewhere. I'm not sure exactly where. But uh, the Campbells are here. Yay, all right. Uh, Havruta. Oh, there's a name for it. Of course, that makes a lot of sense. And yes, Stacy, uh, teachers and students, students do get aggravated when teachers ask questions this way. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 29. We'll start with verse 11. That's a new section because Isaiah's just prophesied about the siege of Jerusalem in the first half of Isaiah 29. And then he comes to verse 11. 
And the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot read. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder. And the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Do you see what Jesus just did there? This I would call a theological clapback. This is Jesus saying, you think that you are fantastic and wise and theologically accurate and religious because you have piled all this crap on top of the Old Don't say crap, young people. That's not a good word to say. Because you have piled all this stuff on top of the Old Testament. And Jesus comes back with a verse that says, the wisdom of their wise men shall perish. The discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. And I'll give the Pharisees and the scribes this. They did know the Old Testament. It's very likely that they had massive portions, if not all of the Old Testament, memorized and could recall it at the drop of a hat. They knew what he was doing here. So when he quotes Isaiah in verse 6 here and says, This people honors me with their lips. And this word for honor is to value or to prize. Um, he is not being uh, polite here. This is really direct talk. So this people honors me. This word is used elsewhere in Mark. It's used elsewhere in Mark chapter 7, actually. So if you go back to Mark chapter 7 and look at verse 10, in verse 10, it says, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother. So Moses has the, the right use of honor. And Jesus takes Isaiah's words and he says, you've got the incorrect way to honor. So notice the contrast that Jesus has here in his teaching of the use of this word. So this people honors me with their lips, but their heart the cardia, their thoughts or their feelings, the place where their emotions were, is far from me. The, the far, this word far is a, actually two Greek words. It's not a compound word, it's just two different Greek words. Poro means at a distance, and apeko. Uh, it means to already have, to be, uh, to receive in full. In, uh, in Mark 14, 41, the ESV translates the word apeko as it is enough. So it is enough at a distance. It is it is far enough away from God. So they honor them with their lips, but their hearts are far enough away from God. Verse 7, in vain or in folly to no purpose. Uh, the word in the Old Testament means it has no weight. It is an emptiness to it. There's no substance. There's no heaviness. So in vain do they worship. This is Sebomai, uh, to reverence or to irreverence. It's, it's actually interesting um, the, the word can actually go either way, but elsewhere in the scripture, it's, it's used a lot in uh, the, the book of the Acts, the apostles, it means devout or someone who uh, is, is very pious. They have a, a righteous lifestyle. So when Jesus uses this word that can have 
a meaning of either positive or negative. He's using a very specific Greek word that's referencing back to the hypocrite word that he used before that you could put on this face or you could show your real face. Which one are you? So he's trying to, he's getting to prick their hearts here. So in vain do you worship or devout me. Teaching, and this is just, this is a terrifying phrase for anybody who picks up the gospel, who picks up the scriptures to teach. Teaching, this is a present active participle, this is a, a lifestyle of teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. Oh, God help us if we do this. Um, one of the things that I, um, <laughs> Augie's dad is very excited about all this Greek and gives a hearty amen. Excellent, wonderful. Um, and this is one of the reasons I use the original language is it's, um, it's very well grounded. Uh, it's, it's as close as I can get to the, uh, the, the actual autographs themselves. But teaching as doctrines the commandments of men is terrifying. And one of the things that we do, one of the reasons we do Bible study in community, and, and this is as good as we can do right now, right? Um, unfortunately, we're not able to be physically present. But one of the things that I count on when I am teaching in front of a group of people is the body language and the eyebrow usage of many of you who regularly come. Because when I say something and your body language shifts and your eyebrows furrow, I think, well, let's roll that back. Let's make sure that I've said this as, as theologically accurately with love as, as I can. Um, because I don't want to fall into teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. This is a, a dangerous, dangerous thing. Jesus, this is the outcome of people who honor God with their lips and not their hearts. Because if it's just lip service that we are giving to the king and our hearts are somewhere else, well, our hearts are probably with us then. Our hearts are probably not fixed on Jesus. This is a dangerous thing. And then verse 8, because he's not done yet, you know, right? but wait, there's more. Um, you leave. This is an active participle. So active means it's repetitive. and uh, You leave or you send forth the uh, I spent a lot of time studying this word this week, and the, the idea is it just it's you, you go, you, you go, you 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 just you get a, you get away, you, you go somewhere else, you leave the commandment, the authoritative prescription of God, and hold. And this is as as seizing and as as gripping of a word that I can get uh, that I've found in Mark. This criteo, this to use strength to seize or retain. You seize to the tradition of men. And it's just stunning in its sadness. We're dismissive of God's word and we seize onto the tradition of men. Because once you decide that Jesus won't do, anything else will. Once you've said that the words of God are not enough, anything will do. And that's what's happened here. They've got centuries of tradition that have been piled on top of the scripture. So you leave the commandment of God and hold fast or hold or seize or retain to the tradition of men. And God help us is if and where this is true of us. This is um, just a, a horrifying, a horrifying concept. Um, Good, Chris. I'm glad that you preached a sermon on this. It is a great phrase. 
Uh, and there's a ton there. I, I would love to, if there's a copy of that, just uh, get it to me somehow. I'd love to listen to that sermon. Uh, so verse nine, and, right? Because he's not done. He's only quoted Isaiah at this point. Now he's going to turn the tables and start talking about Moses. Because if they didn't appreciate Isaiah, who they did, they certainly would appreciate Moses. So, and he said, and this is the imperfect tense. So this is action continually or repeatedly happening in past time, which implies that he didn't just say this once to them. Either he had said this many times to them before that day, or he said it to them several times in this interaction. But this wasn't the only time they heard this. And yet they stuck around. Makes that curious little phrase about Herod and John the Baptist uh, make a little more sense, doesn't it? Even when, you, even when you're getting convicted about something, there's something attractive about the truth. So Jesus says to them in verse 9, You have a fine way. You have a fine way. This is um, uh, the same word that shows up back in verse 6 for well, um, uh, kalos. You have, you have a fine way. I'm getting back to the notes here. Here we go. Uh, of rejecting. And this is a, a present active. This is repeated behavior. This is a rejecting. If you look back at uh, Mark 6, verse 26, it's the only other time this word is used in Mark's gospel. Uh, Mark 6, 26. This is in the, the, the excursus here about the death of John the Baptist. And it says in verse 26, And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. That word for break is the word here for rejecting. So Mark has set up the context of this particular word as associating it with the wicked ruler Herod. And then the next time this word is used, and the only other time it's used in Mark's gospel, is of the scribes and the Pharisees. I don't want to go too far here. But if the only time a word is used in a gospel is used about Herod, who was awful, and then the next time it's word used is about another group of people, my view of those people does not go up. Right? So you have a fine, you have a well way of rejecting. And you, you see the you see what's inside this word well? You think it's morally right. It's not. You think it is. You have a fine way of rejecting, this active rejecting. It's not a passive rejecting. It's not a middle rejecting. This is an active rejecting of the commandment of God. And in case there was any doubt as to why they were doing this, and we'll stop with this phrase here, in order to, the Greek word H-I-N-A, in order to. This is a purpose word. This is a word that says there's a reason that's about to be explained for the behavior that just happened. This is the reason. You reject, you actively reject the commandment of God in order to, here's the reason for, establish your tradition. So they took everything that they believed and superseded God's word and threw God's word out. Because that's what happens when you begin to reject the text of Scripture. Nothing good happens. And we see Jesus demonstrate his belief in the sufficiency of Scripture. 
because he quotes scripture back to him. And he says, what you've done is not right. He's direct, he's clear, and he uses scripture. This is a beautiful model for us. So we'll stop uh, right there. Looks like Chris Cordes is about to have a little revival at his house. Miracles do happen, yes. <laughs> um, uh, Cordes has figured out this technology. Yeah, I, I would, I'd put my nickel on Seth doing it for him. So just, just FYI for that. Uh, and Lisa's in the corner laughing at both of them would be my guess. So. Uh, but we'll come back, uh, Lord willing, next week and pick up with verse 10. Um, so this will be the exact same handout uh, next week. Um, so just hang on to this one if, you've, uh, if, you, if you can do that. And uh, so T-shirt. Let's talk about the T-shirt for just a second. I wore this T-shirt because some of you recognize that while it says Yankees, it's wrong. There's just something wrong about it right here. Right? And if and if my uh, my Boston brethren uh, were on right now, they'd be vomiting all over this shirt because it's just it's offensive to Red Sox fans because this is the Red Sox font, right? It looks like it's a baseball shirt, but it's all messed up. And this, I think, is a really good example as far as what I have in my T-shirt collection of what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing right here. They were looking the part of righteous and religious and pious. But it wasn't right. It was wrong. And somebody who really knew the truth came along and said, that's not correct. So this is my that's not correct shirt for today. Tons and tons and tons and tons of applications and personalizations from last week's lesson and this week's lesson. And we'll get to those uh, next week. So don't worry that it's coming. It's coming. But uh, if you've got any comments or questions about today's lesson, put them in the comments of the uh, Michelle is offended. Yes, I would assume she'd be offended. Uh, sorry. Uh, I, I will be uh, wearing this the rest of the day, so but not tomorrow. Uh, prayer request for down. Oh, it's awful. Okay. So thank you for sharing that. That shirt is well wrong. Yes, Barry, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, that's why I explained it, Margie, because uh, sport and non-sports people have to have it explained. That's exactly right. So if you've got any uh, prayer requests, put them in the comments. Uh, we'd love to pray for those. If you have any questions about this lesson, uh, what I typically do is go back later today and, uh, Lord willing, go back and answer any of the questions that you might have or point you to good materials. Uh, but next week we will start with, what verse was it? Verse 10, Lord willing. And uh, we'll see you back here then. So um, I think that's all I've got. See you guys. Head over to, no, no, I've got one more thing here. I was going to say, there, I knew there was something else. There we go. All right. Perfect. So write your prayer requests in the comment. I knew I had to transition to somebody. It didn't feel right just to finish. Um, so head over to the Stuart Heights Facebook page uh, in the next few minutes, and we will start there uh, with a time of uh, worship and then a sermon. I believe Brian is uh, speaking, so uh, excited about uh, seeing uh, a variety of our pastors come and present the word to us and preach us the gospel because, boy, that is what we need. So uh, God bless you, and uh, thanks for coming today. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.